All right, good evening, everybody. Let's get to it. We'll be in the second stanza of Psalm 77 this evening, and we'll begin at verse 4. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, among the 26,000 significant injuries due to workplace assault in 2013, of all of those, nearly 75% were reported in the healthcare and social services sectors. Attacks on doctors and nurses seem to be becoming more commonplace these days. Injuries caused by violence nearly doubled among nurses and nurse assistants between 2012 and 2014. And as of 2015, across the United States, hospital shootings are now a monthly occurrence. I didn't know that. A particularly prominent incident took place in Boston on January the 20th, 2015, A gentleman named Stephen Passeri, a 55-year-old accountant who lived a normal family life, was involved with his church, walked into a Boston hospital in order to confront Dr. Michael Davidson, a young cardiac surgeon with superb technical skills, according to his colleagues. Passeri was convinced that his mother had died several months er earlier as a result of the prescription that Dr. Davidson had administered following a cardiac surgery. And so Passeri, the son, came upset and unannounced to the hospital that day. Yet Dr. Davidson welcomed him into an exam room, willing to talk through what had happened the day of his mother's surgery, and he even invited Passeri up to the cardiac unit to see how that very same drug was being successfully administered to a third of the patients in the unit. This unscheduled visit meant that Dr. Davidson would have to be late to the rest of his appointment that day. Dozens of appointments would have to be rescheduled or pushed, but here's what one person said, quote, he understood the confusion that accompanies a losing a loved one, and he wanted to help this son, Passeri, find clarity and peace. Dr. Davidson was a rising star, but it was his bedside manner that set him apart. Again, quote, he was known for spending hours talking to patients and their families regardless of whether a surgery ended flawlessly or something went wrong. A colleague described the doctor this way, said he was a visionary and he saw what was coming down the pike and he knew that we were going to be taking care of very complex patients in a completely different manner than we had ever thought about doing. The time and the kindness and the explanations that Dr. Davison offered that day did not assuage Mr. Passeri. As one outlet reported, Passeri expected doctors to perform a miracle. When they couldn't, he sought revenge. After talking with the doctor for about 30 minutes, Passeri pulled out a loaded handgun, fired twice into Davidson, who then, in a final act of heroism, fled the room, shouting warnings to the rest of the staff before collapsing and ultimately losing his life. The shooter then killed himself, bringing an end to an act of terrible tragedy, utter waste, and misplaced blame. Now, I'm sorry to bring such a sad tale to us tonight, but we're in a pretty sad section of the Psalms, uh, particularly this stanza tonight. We're going to get out of this, uh, these doldrums, but not tonight. And something similar to this scene that I just described is sort of happening in our text, at least in the mind and the heart of Asaph, our writer. Now, we remember Asaph from last week. If you weren't here, let me get you up to speed. Asaph was one of the chief musicians appointed by David to lead the worship of Israel. 
incredibly gifted man, incredibly blessed man, faithful man, great servant of the king, great servant of the Lord. He had been posted at the tabernacle of David where the Ark of the Covenant was. He outlived David, then served under Solomon, and there in the last phase of his life, things took a dramatically negative turn. Not just personally, as we uh, look through uh, some of the Psalms that he wrote, it's clear that he had some sort of serious physical ailment and affliction, either kidney disease or some sort of heart failure that he suffered from. But also personally, it seems that he fell out of favor with Solomon as Solomon uh, trended away from the Lord. And we have good reason to believe that Solomon had Asaph's brother murdered. And nationally, Israel, of course, was slipping away from the Lord as well. All of this at the end of Asaph's life and these sorts of struggles and discouragements and the despair that he felt as a result come out through some of the 12 Psalms that he wrote. And here, by the end of our verses, tonight at least, we'll see a man who's utterly broken without hope, which would be hard enough and difficult enough to experience. But beyond the sadness, Asaph then steps into a moment of, of even animosity toward the Lord. He will accuse God of not only changing, but failing to be true, to be unfaithful, to break his promises. And he even suggests that the Lord is actively the cause of his pain and that the Lord is um, torturing him and not letting him find rest. These are dark words spoken from a time of anguish. And what we learned last week from the first stanza is that Asaph was a man, he, he wanted relief from the anguish he was experiencing and he wanted answers for the problems in his life. But we saw last week that he was a patient. He knew he needed help. He refused to be comforted. He refused the treatment that the Lord wanted to give him in the first stanza. And here in the second stanza, not only is he refusing treatment, now he's a patient who's going to become combative towards his great physician, not unlike uh, Dr. Davison and Mr. Passeri in our story above. And so... We learn from Asaph that a man who has refused the treatment of his great physician is only a few steps away from then seeing God as his enemy. And so tonight, as we examine Asaph's words, we want to notice where Asaph's thinking was incorrect and instead remember what is true about our God so that when the dark days of our lives come, they won't leave us angry, combative patients seeing God as the enemy, but that we will be left as people who remember who the Lord really is and people who can put our trust and our hope in the love and the care of our Savior more than ever. That's our goal tonight. So begin at verse 4. Asaph says this to God, You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. If you think about what's being described here for a moment, it's a truly intense accusation. There's Asaph crying out in sorrow during the day of his trouble. And there's God, he says, holding him down and refusing to let him close his eyes to get a moment of rest. Asaph is describing a torture scene here. This sounds like something Jack Bauer would do to somebody in 24, right? Oh, you're not going to rest until I extract everything that I want out of you. That's what Asaph's accusing God of here. Now, was God forcefully withholding rest from his servant. We, we, we see the whole psalm right there in front of us on the page, right? And so we understand the progression that Asaph is going to get through. We know the end of the psalm. 
But if we uh, want to take this piece by piece, let's, let's allow Asaph to speak. You know, one of the things I love about some of these psalms that we've been going through is that God allows his servants to speak these severe things to him. I mean, remember, this is inspired scripture, that, that God allowed Asaph to, to, to write and, and to be preserved and delivered to you and I. This, this accusation that we're reading here where Asaph is saying, God, this is what you're doing to me. You're torturing me like a captor tortures a prisoner of war. And the Lord says, hey, I'm going to allow you to write that because through that anguish and through that honesty, I'm going to be able to reveal myself. I'm going to be able to reveal the truth about who I am. And so we want to take a look at what he's saying and say, okay, well, is this true? There are some systems of theology or some who would teach that, yeah, God was the source of Asaph's pain, not just Asaph's pain, but God actively controls every single molecule. Any bad thing that happens was God's finger dragging across your life. And so it is a fair question to say, was God forcefully withholding rest from this, his servant? Was God the source of Asaph's pain? It's certainly possible for us to feel that way from time to time in our own hearts and in our own lives as we struggle, or at least to be upset in the knowledge that even if God wasn't actively causing this pain, we know that God could have prevented this situation or this sorrow or this hurt in our lives. He could have done it. He could have removed it from our path. He could have prevented it, and for whatever reason, he has not. And so Asaph's frustration gives a personal example and gives words and vocabulary to the accusations that God receives all day, every day from all around the world, right? Even from our own hearts from time to time. The questions like this, why does God allow suffering, right? That's the big question on the minds of most people outside of the faith and sometimes even inside the faith. Hey, why does God allow suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? Where is God when it hurts, These are questions we've all heard, and these are questions that in our heart of hearts, we've all thought ourselves at some point or another. And those are questions that mankind has asked throughout the generations, and we ask it at varying degrees in our hearts. And so Asaph in these first two stanzas is just absolutely coming apart at the seams. And though the Lord welcomes us to pour out our hearts before him, we've seen that in the past Psalms dedicated to Jeduthun. He loves us enough to allow us to ask even these hard questions of him. We want to be careful when we start accusing God. And Asaph's accusing God. Because Asaph, we will remember later in the song, uh, he will realize that what he is saying about God here is absolutely untrue. And he'll say that himself. But we can look at what Asaph says here and what he suggests about the Lord in this stanza and one by one show his statements to be wrong. And that's mostly what I want to do this evening, dismantle Asaph's accusations so that we can remember how great and how wonderful God is. Because at some point in life, like Asaph, we will need to be reminded of what is true, especially when we don't feel it to be true. When we feel like we're being crushed and that it must be God's fault that it's happening, well, then we have to really remember and believe the truth that in reality, God is our shield and our savior and our shepherd. And so here in verse four, Asaph says, God, you won't let me rest. Well, we know that isn't true. From the beginning of God's dealings with man, uh, from the beginning of creation, we understand that God 
you know, rested on the seventh day. It was one of the very first principles. But from the beginning of God's dealing with Israel specifically, which was the sort of the world that Asaph lived in, he made it clear that joy and blessing and rest were a big part of his intentions for them. I'm going to cite a lot of different verses tonight. Hopefully, we'll have them up on the screen for you. Here's the first one, Exodus 33, 14. God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. One of the first promises in the wilderness wanderings. Joshua 1, verse 13. Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land. And so it wasn't true for Asaph. What about for us? We don't live in kingdom Israel. Well, of course, Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29, one of our favorite passages uh, from the words of Jesus. He said this, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So not just an Old Testament idea, not just an Israel idea. This is a principle for you, a promise for you and for me as well. And so Asaph says, you won't let me rest. But the Bible reveals a God who doesn't hold our eyelids open. The Bible reveals that he's the God who wipes the tears away from our eyes, right? A God of tender kindness, a God who goes out of his way to give his people rest, a God who accomplishes the work for us so that we might have rest in him every single day. Psalm 77 verse 5 continues, I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I meditate within my heart, and my spirit makes diligent search. So what's going on here? Well, it seems that Asaph is retreating into nostalgia, right? He's having this terrible time. He's decided he's going to be refused to be comforted by the Lord. And so what does he do? Well, he turns back to thinking about the good old days, hoping to find some comfort in nostalgia. He's listening to Cool 92.9, the, the oldies station. But instead of finding comfort in those memories, he simply met with the realization that, you know what, man, the good old days are gone. I mean, he was smart enough and understanding enough to realize that, yeah, I had good old days, and those are clearly over. Israel and her king are apostatizing. My family's being murdered. My ministry is being destroyed. Like, I, I have all of these afflictions, and a lot of those circumstances are just not going to get better, right? Right? And so he doesn't find the comfort he was hoping for. The glory days of Israel, spiritually speaking, were over. And Asaph personally did experience intense sorrow and suffering. I'm not suggesting that throughout this psalm, you know, he's blowing anything out of proportion or that he's a lightweight. Not by any means. I mean, by all accounts, he's a really great man, a man that God used mightily and gave great gifting to and a great calling to. But his problem here and the intensity of his problem is, at least in the first half of the psalm, has to do with his mindset concerning God, the God who gives his ear to us, right? He's the one that said that, Asaph did, in the very first verse of the psalm. He said, hey, God who gives his ear to us, now let me tell you about this God. He's holding my eyelids open, and he won't let me rest, and he's doing this, and he's doing that. I refuse to be comforted by this God. In fact, let me tell you all the ways that he has failed. And so... The intensity of his sorrow in the first half of this psalm has to do with the fact that his mind is not in a right place concerning his Savior. 
I mean, our God is the God who leans down from heaven with grace and compassion. And Asaph had decided, we saw last time, that he wasn't going to accept the spiritual treatment the Lord wanted to give him. That was back in verse 2. And that led him to then start resenting God and then complaining against God. And now we're in a full-blown accusation and misrepresentation of who God is. And having backed away from the Lord, he turns to his memories, thinking about when things felt better. But instead of soothing him, his memories further amplified his frustration. Effectively, he's saying, I used to be happy. I used to sing songs in the nighttime instead of just shedding tears. And it says that his spirit made diligent search. He's ransacking his heart, trying to find some comfort, trying to find some hope, trying to find a way out of his discouragement and despair. He says he's meditating, he says he's searching. And, you know, from our vantage point, we're looking from outside his situation, looking down on his scene here. And from our vantage point, we see that he's just so close, right, to getting his mind right and having the proper perspective on what's going on in his life. Great example of this in the other two Psalms we looked at previously, Psalm 39, Psalm 62, where David in both of those Psalms had situational problems, right? He had enemies attacking him. In the first one, his mind's all scrambled up. He has no security. He's upset. He's, he's a little bit freaked out. He has this break in his sort of communion with the Lord. And then in the next one, it's a Psalm all about assurance and security and hope in the Lord. And he was like, man, I'm fastened on the rock. Well, his situation was the same. Still had enemies, still had problems, still had all of these pressures going on, but it, the mind was right in the second Psalm. And so from looking down, we're looking at Asaph, we say, yeah, you're meditating and you're, you're, you're making diligent search. You're so close. It's just that you've refused to turn to the Lord. You said, hey, I refuse to be comforted by God. And I'm going to blame God for what's going on in my life. You know, the problem was he had decided he was angry with God in the first half of the psalm, and he had decided that God must have failed, and therefore he refuses to be comforted with whatever God is going to offer. And these verses 4 through 9 are the result of that decision. And we see, man, not a man helped, but a man in deep despair and anguish. One of the most remarkable things to me about this psalm is how fast Asaph will turn the corner once he chooses to believe God and to trust what he knows to be true about God. We're going to get there next time we're together where all of a sudden he's like, bam, I believe God. I believe what I know to be true about God. And all of a sudden, he's singing the praises of God. All of a sudden, he realizes that, man, God is going to take care of us. God is going to lead us. There's this amazing shift in the way he's talking and in the way clearly his heart is feeling. Um, it's so quick. It's, and so we, we know that the solution to Asaph's sorrow is surprisingly uncomplicated. Not necessarily easy, but uncomplicated. It's just that in stanzas one and two, he's blaming God instead of believing God. And so rather than find comfort, he only finds more frustration. Look at verse 7. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Six painful questions. They reveal Asaph's emotional hurt. They're showing what he feels like right now, what he thinks to be what's going on. Reveal his desperation. And here's the thing, though. This is why it's important to go through these questions. If the answer to any one of these questions is yes, then mankind is without hope altogether. These six questions, if any one of them 
the answer is yes, we've got a real problem, and we're just going to be without hope. Now, the good news is that the answer to each and every one of these questions is a firm and resounding no, both to Asaph and to us. Let's see the response of Scripture to each one of his questions, which were really accusations. Will the Lord cast off forever? Well, John 6, 37, in red letters, we read this. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Will he be favorable no more? Well, we think of the Sermon on the Mount, specifically the Beatitudes, where Jesus describes in detail the very path to righteousness that leads to blessing and to favor. He's like, hey, here's how you inherit the earth. Here's how to live the blessed life. Let me show you one, two, three, four, five. I'll line it all out for you very clear. Or we see a verse like 2 Corinthians uh, 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Sounds like God's favor to me. Has his mercy ceased forever? Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Or Jude 2, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Hebrews 8, 12, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Of course, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Next question, has his promise failed forevermore? 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God in him, Christ, are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Next question, has God forgotten to be gracious? John 1.16, for from the fullness we have all received grace upon grace. 2 Corinthians 9.8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Next question, has he in anger shut up his tender mercies? 2 Corinthians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. James 5.11, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. And then, of course, we see example after example in the Gospels of the tender compassion of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had loving kindness for the multitudes and for the individual, right? He was moved with compassion to feed the crowds and moved with compassion to touch the leper, the solitary leper, right? Over and over again throughout the four gospels, we see Jesus consistently, faithfully, powerfully living out his nature, revealing to us who God really is and how God thinks about us, how he acts towards us and what his promises are. And so Asaph here, in the dark night of his soul, spilling out these terrible you know, words full of anguish, 
these accusations against God in the form of questions. He says, is God doing this? Is God doing this? Is God doing this? Because that's what it feels like. Well, the answer to each of his questions is no, no, no. Here's who God really is, as revealed in the scripture. Our God is not unfaithful. He's not forgetful. He's not given up. He's not here to rob your rest. He's not going to torture you. He's not going to keep you from being made whole. Much to the contrary. He's the great physician. He's able to minister in each and every case, but he can't minister to an unwilling heart, right? And to me, it's, it's, it's like this picture of that sad story I had to tell at the beginning. You have this physician who, by all accounts, was a remarkably kind man, a man with great skill to repair internally things that had gone wrong with a person's heart and with their systems. But all of the people around him said, yeah, and you know what? He would sit down with patients for hours and try to explain to them and try to reveal to them, here's what happened. And the same happened with that man that came in. He said, hey, I'll put everything else I was going to do off. That's one of the remarkable things about the God of the Bible is that he's willing to put his timeline on hold in some cases in order to minister to us, right? When the children of Israel say, we're not really ready to go in the promised land, the Lord doesn't just say, okay, I'm done with you guys. I'm going to melt you guys. We're going to get some new people because I'm on a schedule. What does the Lord do? You think the Lord wants to hang out in the wilderness for 40 years? I don't want to hang out in the wilderness for 40 years. I don't think God does either. Because God was like, hey, I can't wait. Hey, guess what, you guys? I'm going to make you my people. I'm going to set you free. We're going to get to the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you abundance. I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to accomplish all this. Oh, you guys want to wait for 40 years? Great. Let's wait for 40 years while we all walk around and you guys complain about everything. Yeah, I'm sure God loves doing that, right? And yet the Lord is so gracious and so compassionate that he's willing to wait for us. He reminds me, this doctor reminds me of the way that the Lord is so gracious and so compassionate to us. But like that doctor in that story I told, you can't, the Lord can't force an unwilling heart to receive his ministry, right? The, the Lord isn't going to force you to believe in him or to be ministered to by him. Asaph said outright, I refuse to be comforted. My soul will not be comforted. Okay, then what's gonna happen is verses four through nine. And it's when you decide to stop refusing that things are gonna get better in stanza three. And so the Lord is our great physician, able to minister to in each and every case. There may be times when we feel crushed and defeated like Asaph does here. He feels that way for good reason. But in those times in our lives, rather than refuse treatment and rather than become combative patients toward our great God, rather than just think about the good old days or convince ourselves that God is the one at fault for our suffering, we should think of our good almighty Lord and remember what is true about him, whether we feel it emotionally at the moment or not. As John wrote in 1 John 3, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. What Paul said something similar. He said, let God be true and every man a liar. And what Paul means there is that, hey, when we don't know which way is up, you know which way is up, God, his truth is up. God is true no matter what we may be feeling at the moment. 
In the very next stanza, we'll see Asaph turn a corner in his thinking, and that's what will make all the difference in his experience and in his life, his spiritual life. It's not his circumstances changing. Nothing changes about his circumstances between stanza two and stanza three. But in his soul, there's a remarkable change. He will trade anguish for awe, and, and, and he will be in awe of the God who... Uh, of who God is, and he will be in awe of what God has done and how he still leads his people with kindness and love and grace like a shepherd. And that will pull Asaph out of his spiral, get him back into the security he so desperately needs in his days of trouble. And we can do the same. And it begins by remembering who our God really is. And rather than fighting against him, falling on him, casting all our cares on him, for he cares for us.